I spike the phone. There we go. You give it some loving kindness and it starts to work. <laughs> no, honestly, it's quite a few times in my life things haven't worked and you're giving it some loving kindness and it's amazing just how powerful that can be. I remember years ago I was giving a little meditation retreat and some talks in Oslo, in Norway and just trying to get out of the airport where our car was parked, the boom gate was stuck. And so they were trying to ring up someone to come and open it. So I got out of the car, honestly, and I just walked to the gate, did some loving kindness, and it opened up straight away. It could have been <laughs> that someone just managed to call in time, but you never know. And of course, that other occasion <laughs> was when our youth group they're about to finish the youth group, they were going off to uh, the beach, a nice hot evening, and they couldn't open the boot of their car. And they were trying the hardest to open up the boot of the car. And then, Robin, were you there that day? Okay. They tried to open up the boot of their car, and one of the people there, Veronica, Ronnie, she saw me walking up, and she said, Ajahn Brahm, you've got powers, please use your meditation and open up the boot of our car. They've been trying for about half an hour. And I said to her, I will open up the boot of the car if you promise you'll become a bhikkhuni for your day nun. To show how much faith she had in me, she said, okay. She didn't think I could do it. I did some meditation and it opened up. <laughs> she was shocked. And I told her, you have to become a fully ordained Buddhist nun now. But she won in the end because what happened was she said, oh, actually there was a lawyer in that class. And the lawyer said, yeah, she promised to become a Buddhist nun. She never said when or in which lifetime. So she got away with that. I was disappointed. <laughs> but no, sometimes, you know, a little bit of kindness, I don't know how it works, but machines, especially sometimes, you know, they do work. And sometimes it's weird to see that. Okay, I'm going totally off subject here, but I was thinking of telling this to a few people yesterday morning about one of the, the monks. There's a few Thai people in the back, they know him. Uh, Ajahn Jamnian? Kontai. Saatmai? Ajahn Jamnian. Kodayinmai? They haven't. Oh, well, you should do. This is the story of him that he was visiting United States many years ago and the monk who met him at the airport checked his um, passport to make all his visas were in order. And when they saw the visa he had to enter United States, they couldn't believe what they saw. It was a diplomatic visa with no expiry date. And how on earth did a simple Thai monk get a visa such as that? He could come and go whenever he wanted. He was just a simple Thai monk. He didn't have any money or funds. But when they inquired, they found out this was the story. That one of the Thai engineers, young men, was working in NASA in Houston. 
And at that time, they needed like a new huge computer, the number cruncher for all of their operations. And they'd installed it, but no one could boot it up. No one could make it work. So they tried to get all these, the best experts in the whole of North America to fly in to fix the problem. No one could fix it. I'm not making this up, this is a true story. No one could fix it. And so one of the engineers there, who was a Thai Buddhist, said, well, if we can't fix it, maybe it's something supernatural. And he said, I know just the person who could fix it if it is. And it doesn't cost anything. That's a great thing with monks. You know, we don't charge. It's good value for money. So they invited him in. I think all they gave him was a Pepsi Cola or something. It's pretty good, good fees for what he was about to do. He went into the big computer room, did some meta meditation and some chanting, and the computer worked. He fixed the problem. No, that's not a joke, that's real. And what do they do? They've saved him millions of dollars. What they decided to do was to get him this visa, diplomatic visa, so he can enter the United States whenever they needed him. <laughs> it's good for him too. But that's why he got that visa from. I checked the story many times, it's true. But don't get any ideas. If your computer is not working, don't come and bring it to the mouse. <laughs> that was a special case. But anyhow, that was just some of the amazing things which meditation can do. But the most important thing which you come here for is to get the peace and the quietness and the feeling of relaxation. And if any of you uh, love your computers and you want to get a career in computing, you go and do your meditation very deeply and you may be able to get all sorts of amazing jobs with the best computer companies in the world. Okay? So you can come here and this is like going to university, enhancing your meditation skills. Is that a good idea? <laughs> Excellent. But anyway, I should go back to the normal announcements first of all. This is the ongoing class in meditation. Those who have come for the introduction to meditation class, that is being held in the room to my right over here. This is the ongoing class. And in this class, uh, one of the difficulties where we meditate and we've been busy, or it's warm, it's actually cooling down now, it's good, and it's warm. One of the things which is wonderful uh, to be able to do is at the beginning of the meditation, get some peace, but also get some inspiration. Inspiration is something where uh, we get energy, but it's not disturbing energy, it's not like exciting energy, it's soft energy. So to get inspiration by you know, some of those little stories I just said, you know, about how through meditation we can do these amazing things, they happen. And it's, I don't know why it happens, but there we are, we do get these amazing little gifts from nature where we can learn how to meditate. And as we do learn how to meditate more and more, it seems that we become more in harmony with nature and the nature becomes more in harmony with us. And we can actually deal with things so much better. 
a lot of times, you know, because we live over in Serpentine, sometimes, you know, we, our big danger over there is bushfires. And sometimes even there, you know, I tell many jokes about bushfires, but the most important thing is that when we do meditate, sometimes those bushfires, they come close and they go away again. Even in our nuns monastery the last, was it a year ago or two years ago, there was a bushfire and it came right into the corner of Dhammasava nuns monastery, but it never came in to the monastery. And I remember the nuns telling me that when they were checking out any damage in that corner, all they saw was one, just one burnt leaf. No other damage at all in the whole monastery. And even when we had a big bushfire in 1991 in Bodhinyana Monastery, it came through the monastery and burnt many trees. But all of the buildings, I remember being with the the head of the uh, fire brigade in, uh, in Perth at the time. He came to check out, see what the damage was and what was damaged and why it was damaged and why things weren't damaged. I remember him looking at this, uh, one of our AFM buildings made out of wood. And he looked at it, looked underneath it, looked around it, and then he said, this should not be here. There was no reason he knew that that could ever survive, but it did. And sometimes when you ask why, sometimes the power of peace and meditation, because I was a theoretical physicist, okay, so I don't believe in these things lightly, but there's some beings in this world who can sometimes help out and make sure that what deserves to be safe can be safe. But anyway, that is actually, because I've seen that too many times and I uh, understand how well that works, that gives like inspiration to me. And that inspiration, I can sometimes bring up some of these stories when I start meditating, the very, very beginning, and that makes me feel encouraged. It makes me feel uplifted. It's a free source of energy which I can call upon, especially if I feel tired or if it's like a hot day or you've been working very hard. And when you can inspire yourself, especially inspire yourself quite easily, then that makes me feel you know, the energy inside the body and the mind from which I can get into some nice deep meditations. You see somebody who's done a very kind, good act. You may have seen that today, they let you park, they let you in on the traffic. You saw someone being really, really, really kind. When that happens, it makes you feel that there's so much goodness in this world. It makes it easier for you to get into some nice deep meditation. One of the interesting news stories many years ago, I told one of those stories a few days ago, but this one was of a little kid. And he had, uh, he came home from school one day and his parents asked him, you know, where's your bike? He had a BMX bike. And got from his birthday, he was about 11 or 12 years of age. And he said, was it stolen? And he said, no, I gave it away. And his parents said, why? He said, well, I, I was, went past this like, nature reserve on the way back from school and I saw two elder kids. They were torturing a little rabbit. And I told them to stop and they said, of course, they were bigger than him. He said, no. And he said, I will give you my bike if you give me your rabbit. 
And so they made the exchange, so he saved this little rabbit's life by the expense of his bike. And so his father, I think, worked for one of the newspapers and there was a very good story in the newspaper. And the next day, I think people offered him, they gave him, they sent around as gifts, three more BMX bikes. <laughs> he made a profit. <laughs> you know, the kindness. Sometimes people see that and they think, wow, we want to encourage that more and more. That type of generosity and inspiration. When I think of that, that gives me a beautiful energy inside my body and mind. And I use that energy to start my meditation. It gets me in the right mood. It gets me a source of energy and peace and joy comes up into my mind and I use that, you know, to take this meditation even further and even deeper than usual. You don't feel tired, you don't have sloth and torpor, you don't have restlessness. What you're experiencing is peaceful and beautiful. It's very easy to stay there. So anyway, that's a little bit about using, using inspiration at the beginning of the meditation. Some people who are devout Buddhists and have been practicing Buddhism for a long time, sometimes they just chant to themselves and you know, quietly know the words of the Buddha, Namo Tassa or something. And that kind of gets them into the mood to meditate. And other people do all sorts of other preliminaries just to get them focused in the right area of life. And then sometimes the energy, the joy comes up so much that it's easy to start meditating. I've had some of the best meditations in my life after listening to a great talk by someone, especially someone like an Ajahn Chah, who would really sort of inspire me so much that then I'd close my eyes to meditate and have some wonderful meditations. And you can see it was because you're inspired, encouraged, uplifted, given this free source of joy and happiness. And at the end of that, meditation became so easy. So see if you can arouse inspiration. What you're doing is something fantastic, and amazing. The sort of effects which I've seen, not just opening boom gates at airports, but just um, seeing just great health, great success, you know, in academia, people passing exams, you know, people who thought they'd really definitely fail, people who are inventing things, running businesses, you know, finding good partners in life, whatever it is. Sometimes the meditation can do some incredible, wonderful things. And when I see that actually happening, and see people's happiness increasing, people's overcoming sicknesses and impending deaths and they keep on going, they survive. And seeing that through the power of meditation, that does inspire me. And I, you may not believe me, but you know, I've seen that too many times, it certainly inspires me. If you can ever see things like that, it gives you the meaning, the power of this uh, cleaning, energizing, freeing, your mind. Okay, so now I'm going to start the meditation. Once again, as I always have to, if you come to the introduction to meditation class, that is in the room to my right. This is the ongoing class. We usually meditate here for 45 minutes. I start with a guided meditation for about 15 or 20 minutes 
and then I'm quiet to let you see how deep you can go. So again, first of all, bring the attention to your body. If you want to do some inspiration, first of all, asking yourself why you're here. And maybe remembering some of the most beautiful meditations you've ever had in your life. Imagining what peace really feels like. The sense of having no burdens at all. Free. At peace. This wonderful sense of the stillness when you don't require anything at all. A place inside where you can really rest. I kind of remember some of the caves I used to sit in. Peaceful with no one disturbing you at all. And the mind didn't want to go to sleep because the peace was just too enjoyable, too fulfilling. You go to these beautiful states of stillness where the mind is still really alert. But first, you go to your body. My body has been alive over 72 years now. I've got so much gratitude towards it. It hasn't caused me too many difficulties. And out of gratitude, I care for it. I care so much. I want to put it into the best possible position at the start of the meditation. I kind of feel I owe it to my body to be kind and caring. I start with my feet, making sure that how they are positioned underneath my sitting body is comfortable, as comfortable as I can get it. To do that, I have to develop awareness. But not just awareness, the awareness together with really strong kindness. I want to make sure that my feet are really, really, really comfortable. And that means adjusting them, moving them if they need it.
and then I go up to my ankles. These days I really, rarely feel any problem there, but that doesn't stop me by from being really mindful, really aware of any sensations in my ankles and using that information to make my ankles even more relaxed. And from the ankles I go to my lower legs. I can feel a kind of itchiness on the skin because it was hot when I first came in here. It's probably just some of the sweat glands. I never try to get rid of feelings because that just usually makes them worse. You're kind to them. Relax them. Expand them. When things become loose, they become very soft and easy to disappear. I get to my knees. I feel those knees without touching them. I can know if there's any tightness there. I feel a little bit of twinge in my left kneecap. So all I do is just be aware of it, be kind to it. I know from so much experience in life, the kindness relaxes things and the relaxation allows healing. And now my left knee feels fine. Go up from the left knee, up the thighs. Try and feel as much sensation as I can. As I feel the sensations in my knees, relax all of them. That's the kindest thing I can do. So this is not just a practice of Samatha or stillness. It's also a practice of metta, of kindness. In fact, I can never really distinguish between one type of meditation and another. Instead, I just combine everything. Combining loving kindness to my thighs with the softness and the peace of Samatha and the insights of understanding how it feels. Until the whole knees become really at ease. And I can feel them. Their sensations are very soft and comfortable even. And I go up to the top of my thighs to my butt. I'm sitting on a cushion, but I've been sitting on a cushion for a while. And it's already comfortable there. I can still feel sensations, but they're comfortable enough, evenly spread. 
and after a little while I know they disappear. Just like I could hear the sound of cars in the distance. And I know those, that sound will pretty much stay the same. And in a few moments I won't be able to hear anything. My brain will only respond to very loud, sudden noises. The background noises can easily be let go of. And I go to my waist. I kind of find that an important part of my body. If I get that correctly positioned at the beginning, it's comfortable for the whole 45 minutes or even longer. I usually just stretch my back a little bit until the waist feels in a very strong but comfortable position. And then I go from the bottom of my torso. It's kind of scanning my attention slowly upwards. I'm not a doctor, I don't know too much about anatomy. I just feel what it's like when I move my attention slowly upwards, centimeter by centimeter up my body. See if I can feel anything which is tight or aching or just unusual. And if I do, it's like there's a problem there which needs to be relaxed. Unfortunately today, my body is really comfortable and healthy. So I still continue to sweep my attention up. If I catch any ache, pain or twinge or whatever, I'll just stop there and imagine just caring for it. I told someone the story yesterday that when I used to play soccer in the streets in London, if I fell over, I scraped the skin from my knees, I'd run to my mother crying, and all she would do was kneel down and kiss it better. It worked every time. Just the kindness was enough to take the pain away. And any kindness in your body, when you know how to really give that kindness deeply, the body eases off, relaxes. Anything which is squashed becomes released. and the problem is solved. I go up to my stomach and pass my stomach to my lungs. Pass the lungs up to the heart region until I finally finish scanning my body right up to my shoulders. And 
And I feel if my shoulders are too tense. They usually are, but like yesterday, today, the same, they're not. My shoulders are really at ease. Just make sure they're even more at ease. And I scan my attention down my arms. Past my elbows. The forearms and wrists. Eventually I get to my hands and my fingers. Making sure all the fingers are in place they pretty much are. I just do some minor adjustments. I care for every part of my body so much I won't rush past anything. And I go back out to my shoulders. I find the last something which I can adjust. My robe is a little tight over my shoulder, so I'm going to re relax it, ease it off. And as I come back to my shoulders, and make sure my head is well balanced on top of the neck. Usually I move my head up and down to begin with until I can find the optimum, the best spot for it on top of my head and on my neck. Again I do that because sometimes if your head is not properly positioned you get the ache in your neck and the pain. Disturbs the meditation. And then I come to my head itself. I always like to become aware of the muscles around the eyes and the nose and the mouth. And as I often say, when you are aware the awareness gives you feedback. You soon learn, sometimes by trial and error, but you learn how to relax all the muscles in your face. I think it's wonderful to be able to do that and experience it every meditation. Like I'm doing now, my facial muscles are much more relaxed than a minute ago. And sometimes I haven't done this for quite a while. If you're very busy and have had lots to think about, I imagine just my skull, that I can open it up. Imagine just a little hinge on one side, and opening up the skull and taking out my brain and putting it into a little basket next to my my body, on a nice pillow, a little blanket, and say, have a rest, brain. You work too hard, you need a rest. It's only a metaphor. 
but sometimes it works. It means I deliberately decide not to encourage solving all my problems with thinking. Put my bed, my brain to bed. And then last of all, I can be aware of my whole body sitting here. It's so, so, so much more comfortable than when I started this guided meditation. I can feel that comfort. The more I can feel and value the comfort of a relaxed body, the more I can see the pleasure in that experience. It's joyful. And then I notice the relaxation goes deeper. I feel more relaxed now than about any time this afternoon so far. So I've looked after my body. At the same time, I've strengthened my awareness and my kindness. So now I turn to my mind. By which I mean, I ask myself, how peaceful am I? Strangely, I'm not as peaceful as I usually am. Don't know why. But I know the cause of peace. One of them is to totally let go of the past. You can do that. Totally abandon any concerns of the future. Because I know my future is made right now. So allowing my attention to stay in the present moment allows it to do the very, very, very best. And once it starts to stay mostly in the present, it starts to feel at home. And this is where my attention belongs. Like being in home, it should be a place where you can rest, relax. I can feel the peace increase in its strength. I also like to be aware, perceive how pleasant is the peacefulness in my mind. Once I can notice its pleasure it gets stable. It doesn't want to be disturbed. But I'm still very, very aware. And 
And I also notice from a state of peacefulness. It's easy to go to states of silence where you're not talking to yourself. The thoughts get slower and more empty of any meaning. I just know how I feel right now. And I cannot put it into words. I don't need to put it into words. I just know what's happening right now in silence. And because I started off my career as a meditator by meditating on the breath, that's what comes up next for me, without me even choosing. I become aware of a breath coming in and stopping and the gap after the in-breath has come in and then the out-breath beginning. I make sure I don't force it. I don't tell my breath how to breathe. Most of the time it does it automatically, naturally. When I let it breathe how it wants to breathe, it's usually the most comfortable. So I don't have to do a thing. I can keep in the present moment, in the silence, just watching a breath come in and go out, like watching gentle ripples of waves sitting by the ocean, watching them come in and go out. The breath coming into my body, and when the body is ready, the breath goes out. Peaceful, easy, and soon that peace gets incredibly strong. But I always remember to notice how pleasant it all feels. So I don't want to miss a moment of it. And from there, the meditation gets deeper and more peaceful. And sometimes you have the time of your lives. I am going to be quiet now.
It's getting close now to the end of this meditation period. Another couple of minutes. How do you feel? How deep and pleasant is the peace? When you realize how beautiful a quiet mind is, it becomes easier to meditate every time the mind remembers and you let it and it goes into those beautiful places again and when you start to come out you can feel your body again And the body is really relaxed, at ease. A quiet mind makes for a healthy body. I will now ring the gong three times. When the last ringing of the gong vanishes, that's a signal to open your eyes and come out from the peace of meditation. It is allowable to smile at the end of a meditation. <laughs> it tells me if you've had a nice meditation. Okay, now I usually ask for some questions about the meditation. And I can understand why that those people who've been meditating here will find it hard to formulate a question. So let's get some of the questions from overseas first of all. Thank you. The first question is almost like theoretical. Does an arahant, a fully enlightened being, know the moment one gets to that stage as an insight after a jhana, or does knowledge come only after reflection of what fetters have disappeared? 
it's not as um, specific. Just when a deep understanding happens, any insight which is profound, just the mind kind of rejoices. It's like you're free. A big burden has vanished. Things which could kind of hold you back has disappeared. You're just like floating in the air, nothing holding you down. But sometimes that's only like a taste, a temporary experience. And usually this is something which I've said, it's a bit disappointing for many people. If you have a great insight, don't try and judge how far you've come. Why do you want to know that? Just enjoy the peace, the stillness, the joy. And after a while, just the knowledge of what happened will obviously come up. But enjoy it for the time being. From Indonesia. How is it different from our breath relaxing in meditation with, for example, sitting on a beautiful garden or mountain and relaxing there? How do we take it from there to the right meditation? You can start by sitting down in a quiet place and seeing some beautiful parts of nature. One thing about nature is nature is beautiful, but it doesn't stimulate the senses. It calms them all down. Because nature is, you cannot control it. You can observe it and be at peace with it. But uh, in the meditation, things vanish, they disappear. When you're meditating, after a short while, you can't feel your body. After a short while, the past and the future disappear. After a short while, it's just, it's just gorgeous. It's, Enjoy this moment. So, sitting on a beautiful garden or mountain, there's just too much information coming in. And the mind is not as simple as when it's sitting there in this moment, just enjoying, first of all, the breath, but then the breath disappears. You can see these beautiful lights and images. And of course, you know, once you see those limiters, you realize how powerful the meditation can be when the mind is very still. And no matter how beautiful a sunset is, the mind being at peace is always so much more beautiful. And the next question, what gives rise to spontaneous limiters? I experienced this twice in recent weeks. I sat down not intending to meditate, closed my eyes and immediately saw. And that's the end of the question. So sometimes what happens is the mind does get peaceful. And you can get to a certain stage in the meditation and it just takes over, it's too powerful. In other words, you don't control it, you can't stop it, you can't make it happen deeper. It's just happening there and it's beautiful and it's enjoyable. What gives rise to this is sometimes I say a person can press the letting go button. 
when they let him go but and get pressed. This is only a metaphor. You just learn how to let go. And the mind gets incredibly peaceful. Body disappears, the five senses turn off. And what you're watching there is, uh, it is what happens in the mind. It is just the mind sense starts to dominate. The sixth sense, when that starts to dominate, it gets incredibly joyful and beautiful. And totally easy. And you do let go. You can't help it. I don't know if I answered the question specifically. It's because each one of those questions was not properly asked. And I just tried to figure out what you really wanted to know and answer that. The first question, what does an arahant know? One of the most beautiful things about an enlightened being is they never feel they're better than anybody else, worse than anybody else, or the same than anybody else. That sense of self has vanished. You don't compare yourself. And the different types of meditation, how do we take it from one part of the meditation to another part of the meditation? That was the second question. Is you don't take it, you just let it develop. The more you let go, the more the mind becomes powerful and peaceful. And after a while it knows what to do. At the end of the meditation today I did suggest to you, how does it feel when you're really peaceful? That is not so much to give you insights which you can remember and discuss with other people around a coffee table. That is actually telling your mind, it's conditioning it. What I said last night, brainwashing it. In other words, the mind remembers. Remembers these beautiful states. And because it remembers them, it just gets a little bit close and you can't stop it. How the Buddha described this, he says the mind leaps onto the object. It knows much more than you do how beautiful that is and you can't stop it from getting in there. And that's also the answer to the spontaneous nimittas. You know, some people, please excuse me, I'm a Buddhist, 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 Buddhist. So I know there's previous lives. So sometimes you maybe haven't experienced a nimitta in this life yet, but you probably have in previous existences. And so when you get close enough, there's some kind of memories can come up even just things which you aren't clearly aware of, but they pull you towards these beautiful states of mind. And you call it spontaneous nimittas. They're not really spontaneous, they happen very fast, you don't do anything. But it works. Those are very deep questions, and I hopefully I answered them, how you could understand them, but I'm not sure. So, Anyone here would like to ask any follow-up questions on that? Please do, sir. Okay, Eddie, yes. Could you? Eddie's just around the corner. Oh, there's another one over here first. Oh, yes. Oh, Eddie. He always sits in the same place.
Okay. Okay, uh, Ajahn Brahm, I noticed, you know, that uh, meditation teachers, including you, you know, at the end of the meditation, one hour, you'll be asking, oh, how do you feel, you know? Yes. You know? Yeah. It's just that short measurement, you know. How about measuring it on a longer term thing, you know? Like for those people who come here, say for example here, like every Saturday, how do you feel after three months, you know? Do you mm. feel more peaceful? Is your health better? So that, that gets into the people's minds too, you know. It's just not just this lobby. Oh, I just come here for one hour or anything, you know. Yeah. Do, do you see what I mean? I see what you mean. Yeah. But sometimes, if it's for three months, it's not as direct experience as just after you finish the meditation. Of course, you know, it should be obvious, especially to people you live with, your husbands, wives, kids and even the people you work with, your doctor, whoever it is, they can sometimes understand, see the increase in your health, emotional health and physical health when a person does meditate. But especially just straight after the hour of meditation or 45 minutes, whatever it was, straight afterwards, it's a direct experience and you can't explain that by anything else except what you've just been doing after 45 minutes and how peaceful and how still and how beautiful and how basically content your mind is, it's right there and that's one of the reasons I ask people to do that at the very end it's right there, easy for you to see, you're right in front of the peace and stillness and you can really understand how it feels when you understand how it feels, you understand that meditation does work, you can meditate. And sometimes it's incredibly powerful. I don't usually like measurement, but it's just like, you're right here, enjoy what's happening and why. And it feels great. Yeah, C can I say? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. You know, like a beginners, okay? Yeah. They're trying to learn meditation. Yeah, you measure from one hour. Those who are more seasoned, you know, I'm sure they come here. They want to have a longer time. Long. They want to see a longer term benefit, you know. Oh yeah. Did you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> Even the longer term benefit becomes really obvious. But sometimes it's allowing you to be appreciate just at the end of every meditation, just how gorgeous it is. And just after every meditation, that encourages you to meditate again, and again, and again. It's much more in the present moment. You're right here, you're appreciating it right now, than thinking about three months or six months, but of course it works. After three months, other people can see just, you know, you do change your lifestyle alters. You don't think that you do that. It's kind of automatic. Sometimes people say, oh, you, it's really hard, I like to change my lifestyle, but I just haven't got the energy to do it. It becomes a more automatic, peaceful, the only thing you can do. So basically, you realize you're not in control. 
but telling you just how beautiful each meditation is and how it can be gorgeous. That will actually get you much more into doing more meditation. It feels great. But there are long-term benefits, Anjibarami. It's just not just oh, yeah. long-term thing, yeah. Yeah, when you see every this. moment, it becomes eventually long-term. Okay. Thank you. No trouble. Any other question from anybody here? You got a question, or is it? Where? Sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. Hi, Adran. Um, what if at the end of the meditation it wasn't such. What if the meditation was not such a good meditation? Ah, if it's not such a good meditation. You can obviously notice it is still a good meditation. That was one of my first teachers told me that there's no such thing as a bad meditation. And I thought, well, maybe for you, but you didn't know how my meditation was. <laughs> and he said, no, because when you meditate, you're much more peaceful. And I'm saying that carefully than you were if you didn't meditate at all. Just the very fact you're sitting still with your eyes closed and it's also listening to a guided meditation for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, however long it was, that is powerful. That gets you more peaceful. And that's one thing which I noticed, that when I started to look at the end of every meditation, every meditation, it wasn't brilliant meditation at first, but every meditation was really worthwhile. And the gorgeous ones, they're the most obvious. And it's like something which is, again, giving a bit more of an answer to Eddie's question. You know, is that sometimes I get too serious and peaceful, and there was that kind of joke, but which is, a great description of meditation of the refugee story. A refugee come to Australia. He was a doctor in his home country, but those uh, qualifications were not recognized here in Australia. So he had to get a job on a building site just as a laborer. He went there on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, never got paid a cent. And on Thursday, didn't really want to go to work. He thought that in Australia, people exploit refugees. But his wife told him, we've got nothing else to do, might as well go to work on a Thursday. Went to work on a Thursday, came back again, no money. Nothing else to do, so he went to work on a Friday. He never worked hard on a Friday at all. And his boss called him into the office and gave him a big pay packet. And he realized, he went home to his wife and said, now I realize how it works in Australia. From today on, I'm only going to go to work on Fridays. <laughs> on payday. So that's like meditation. You don't get a big pay packet every meditation, but it's still pretty good. But then you don't get a big pay packet, but eventually the pay packet comes. If you haven't had a big paycheck yet in your meditation, don't worry, it's in the mail. 
And I kind of like that because that's how it sometimes is. And the more you meditate, just the more you get paid. The bigger the check comes. <laughs> it's only a metaphor, it's not doing it for money. Just out of health and peace and happiness, fulfillment, all you ever wanted in life. It's a pretty good deal. It doesn't cost you anything. If anything is a silver bullet, solves everything, it's meditation. That's my experience of it. Because it doesn't actually keep my robe on properly, but everything else it does. <laughs> Any other question anyone has? Sometimes, please let me know, do I sometimes teach too deeply for you? Okay. Thank you. Because I just enjoy myself. <laughs> Whether you understand or not, sometimes. Anyway, we can now pay respects to Buddha Dhamma Sangha about three times. And those who have other duties to perform, please you can perform them. <laughs>